explain or to understand the grace of God. To understand how he works and why he chooses to work the way that he does. As I strive to work and to try to comprehend the time frame in which God carried out his plan of redemption, the years that passed, the generations that lived and died before Jesus ever came to this earth, to give his life as that ransom for our sins. Of how that all works with this marvelous grace of God. The scriptures help me. Genesis eighteen twenty five, for example. Along with 1 Peter 2 and verse 23, I believe it is. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? It's the only way I can work with it. God will do what is right. I may not understand how he allowed generations after generations to live without that grace of God, but it was there, but without that blood of Jesus Christ being shed for the remission of sins, but that would come in the future. It's a beautiful concept that of God working with us in our lives to remind us He has a plan. And how we comprehend that plan is a lifetime task. Knowing, believing, trusting, obeying, the one whom we cannot see for the hope that we do not see and to believe that everything that we do see one day will cease to be. The Bible does clearly teach that we are saved by grace. not of anything that we have done. And that's something that we struggle with in our lives. A lot of times it is really just simply subconsciously, but it's there, of believing that we, by the life we live, by the deeds that we do, the way that we express ourselves, make ourselves right with God. And those who choose not to follow that course of life are not right with God. But we are reminded in Luke chapter 17 and verse 10 that when we have done everything that is required of us, expected of us, All that we can say is that we are unprofitable servants. 
We've only done that which has been asked of us. When we've done all that we can do, regardless of what it is, we've only done what has been expected of us. No more and no less. God wants the all. We give the all, and there's no room for boasting in what we have done. It is still by the grace of God that salvation has come our way. That we're freely justified by God's grace. It's hard for us to conceive of that as well. What do we do to earn it? We do not. How do we justify it in our lives? We do not. We've justified freely by God and the sacrifice that Christ made upon that cross. We have those in the religious world. Sad to say, we have those that seem to be a part of God's family who misunderstand the grace of God and what it allows and what it permits. They want to have the freedom The religious world, many do believe that you can have the grace of God and you could now sin without consequences. That if you're a child of God, it does not matter what you do in the physical life, you're okay with God. And again, it's sad to say I've seen that infiltrated church to hear gospel preachers who were gospel preachers at one time make the statement and believe that one, whatever one did when one thought they were becoming a child of God, if you were sprinkled as a baby or you were sprinkled as an adult and you thought you were obeying God, you're okay with God. Nothing more is required of you. To change what God has asked and required, to say the grace of God covers that, They've gone on to say that whatever you do in your life, regardless of what it is, as long as you believe that what you're doing is okay with God or acceptable to God, it is. You do not need to worry about what you, anything else. The scriptures are not the guideline. The scriptures are not the authority. The scriptures are not the, the standard is how do you feel about what you've done? How do you feel about what you're doing? And this is from those who were strong preachers of the pure gospel of Christ in years gone by. The grace is marvelous. There's no way to describe it that we can fully comprehend it. At one time, it was a hidden mystery. What had God really planned? The first reference we have to the coming of the Messiah would be in Genesis 3 and 15. But then all those time frames would pass. 
And the mystery would be, what is God planning to do? How is he going to accomplish what he wants? And from the human perspective, God's, myst- or God's will will always be that mystery of you want. I do not understand how he works in the way that he does. I do not understand how he uses and can use and does use any human being for the accomplishing of his will. It may be nothing more than reminding us of what happens when one does not obey, what happens when one who has obeyed chooses to disobey God along the way. God's desire is that, is that not any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's desire. His grace has provided the way for that to be the case. But it's up to the individual then to decide whether it will happen or not. As I read the scriptures prophesying the coming of the Messiah, read the descriptions that Isaiah gives of the suffering servant, And then you read the Gospels. The Old Testament, as it has its physical descriptions of God working in this world, gives that expectation of what shall take place. And in a sad way, as I read the Gospels, I see man's rejection of the very thing that they were anticipating. And has that changed because we now have the scriptures? We anticipate a godly kingdom. We anticipate a king who is God, who rules in righteousness and in purity, who rules without partiality, who rules in love. And we reject him. We reject. They did in the days of Jesus. God in our midst, Emmanuel. God in our presence. Jesus the Son of God in the flesh, and they rejected it. We have been given the Scriptures. And yet, how many times do we overlook or reject what they have to say? Do they really prick the heart The Hebrew writer reminds us, for example, in Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13. But the word of God is a sword. It's living and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It is able to judge the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And one day we'll be held accountable to it. 
will be judged by. But those phrases in there is able to judge the thoughts. I believe that as long as I'm not allowing the thoughts to be spoken, I'm okay. But it's able to judge the thoughts. But more than that, it's able to judge the intentions of the heart. Again, no human being is able to judge your intentions. They can draw conclusions by your actions. But we're not able to judge the why you do what you do. Why you're here this morning. Why you assemble around the Lord's table. Why you contribute. We're not able to judge those intentions that you have as to why. But God is. God knows what those intentions are. Is it because I do not want to be thought less of? Is it because I want people to think I'm a good person? There could be a variety of reasons as to why I'm doing what I'm doing. But God knows the intentions as to the why. And I believe that's a reason a lot of people do not spend the time in God's Word. Because it is able to cut to the heart of the matter. It is able to lay the soul bare before God that as I read it, either I'm going to listen to what it says, if I'm going to listen to what it says, I need to be willing to do what it says. We're looking at the book of Colossians in the Sunday morning class. And we're in Colossians 3 right now. And as you read down in Colossians 3, you read some statements that, how well do we do? How well do we really do in this life that we say we are a child of the living God who have given our lives to Jesus because he gave his life for us? We believe that he shed his blood for the forgiveness or the remission of our sins. But as a result of that, that's not the end of the story. And as we read the scriptures, to paraphrase, paraphrase what Paul Harvey used to say, and now the rest of the story. Here's what we see here, but here's the rest of the story. How do we view one another? How do we forgive one another? Do we forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us? Do we? I mean, honestly, do we? Is that really part of our forgiveness? Is as Christ has forgiven us? We are expecting that as he forgives us, as Hebrews ten seventeen says, our sins and our iniquities he remembers no more. They've been dealt with by the blood of Jesus. That was the price. That was a horrendous price that was paid for the remission of sins. 
God then remembers them no more. Do we act that same way with our brothers and sisters in Christ? But God, in his marvelous grace, still covers us, still encourages us, and still helps us to walk closer to him each day along the way. As you read human history, and again, as I'm reading human history and working it with God's will, again, I rely on Genesis 18.25, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? How many generations of human history have gone by You look at all of the nationalities that were there. You look at all of the hatred. The desire to dominate. The desire to eliminate nations. With that understanding. That this grace of God is to be made known to all nations now. How does that work with God? I mean, how does he work with all of that? Romans explains it a little bit to us in Romans 1, 18 through 32. Part of it is reminding us to the fact that man left on his own will not seek God. Creation tells you that there is a God, but man chose not to glorify him as God. And as I read Romans 1, 18 through 32, three times I read, God gave them up. God gave them up. How does that all work? With God's marvelous grace. Showing the deep need that we have for it. He will judge rightly and all of those cases of human history coming on down then we come into the first century as we call it we come into the death of Jesus on the cross we come into what we call the great commission go into all the world And preach the gospel to every creature. And then you remind yourself of the history of humanity and every creature. And then remind yourself, Jesus died for each one. We, as human beings, struggle with dealing with human beings. We struggle with dealing with people that see see things differently than we do, that have a different perspective, a different agenda, 
And we allow human motions sometimes to dictate how we feel. And it's hard. Hard to go back to read that familiar verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God so loved the world, every human being, that He gave His Son to die for their sins. And then that whoever would believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then you have where the gospel began in Jerusalem. Telling those that were of the Jewish persuasion who then had obeyed the gospel, some 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, to carry out that gospel to the world. And it's interesting, Acts 8, 4 says there was the persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were scattered abroad and they went everywhere preaching the word. And later on, you find out they went everywhere preaching to the Word. To the Jews only. Hard concept. The gospel wasn't for the Jews only, regardless of where they lived. The gospel was for all nations, regardless of where they were. Then with Cornelius and following on down, they would learn to take the gospel to the Gentiles as well. And then they would struggle. And the struggle did not end at the end of the first century. Christians, Christians today still struggle with human beings who look different than they do. They still struggle with it. And it doesn't matter what side you're on. There shouldn't be signs. One people, one blood. Read that somewhere, I believe. One blood, and yet we struggle. Well, I prefer to be over here because they do things the way I like to see them done as opposed to being over here where you do things I'm not familiar with. And we forgive the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And we need to be able to express that. And we need to be able to share that. And we need to be able to believe that with all of our heart and all of our soul and with all of our might. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. May we take that to heart and may we share that with all men, with all humanity regardless of who they are. The grace of God, he's patient with us as we strive to serve him. 
gives us encouragement along the way if we will but trust him and do the things that would be pleasing in his sight. You have to look at your own heart. You have to look at your own life. You have to see where you are as you read the scriptures. The scriptures, again, were intended to prick the heart, to convert the soul, and to take you to heaven. Are you letting it? Or is there a need to make a change in your heart and in your life? A change in your relationship with God? He has an invitation that is always extended. An invitation that is always open. That at any time one wants to change and come to God, God is always there to receive. In one, any time that one needs to make a correction in their life or needs the help of God or the brothers and sisters in Christ, God is always there. So that invitation is extended this morning. If, if there is any way that we could help you in making your life right with God or encouraging whatever needs to be done, if you need to respond to that invitation, indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.